Welcome to the Positive Pastor Podcast. My name is Pastor Eric, and I'm your host today. And today we are continuing our series on David, the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. In my studies this week, I came across a story. Deeply immersed in meditation during a church service, Italian poet Dante Alighieri failed to kneel at the appropriate moment. Well, his enemies hurried to the bishop and demanded that Dante be punished for his sacrilege. Dante defended himself by saying, If those who accuse me had their eyes and minds on God as I had, they too would have failed to notice the events around them, and they most certainly would not have noticed what I was doing. (laughs) We're talking today about being so immersed in worship So entranced in the presence of God that you no longer care what other people think. You simply and truly are in the moment. We're jumping ahead in David's life here a bit, where he no longer is on the run. At this point in the story, Saul has taken his own life, and David has become king over all of Israel. So at this point in the story, David has decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant, uh, this point into the city of David and eventually into Jerusalem. And in the excitement of it all, David is dancing with all his might in his ephod, basically in his underwear, if you will, an act that his wife, Michael, accuses him of being undignified for a man of his stature. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, hold them in the air and say, word of God, word of God. Let's open up our Bibles now to 2 Samuel chapter 6, that's 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 through 22. 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 22, which says this, Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets, As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from the window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty and then gave a loaf of bread and cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person, the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today! going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls, his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord, who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house, his house, when he appointed me as ruler over the Lord's people of Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I'll be held in honor. (laughs) So, here we have David ushering in the very presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant that was being in in the process of being transported uh, to Jerusalem. So, 
So excited was King David that he was dancing in celebration. The presence of God being ushered into Jerusalem. Not everybody shared his enthusiasm. Michael, the daughter of Saul, who was more focused on the external, decided to chastise the king for the way in which he was celebrating. You know, we're going to sing a song after the uh, sermon, a song that we uh, we sing in a lot of youth camps. It's a very popular song in the youth camp. It was written uh, about this particular passage, and it's called "Undignified." The same uh, same title we gave this uh, sermon. And the, the, the lyrics of the song were that I will dance, I will sing to be mad for my king. Nothing, Lord, is hindering this passion in my soul. And I'll become even more undignified than this, though some may say it's foolishness. You see, David wasn't afraid of being undignified before anyone else. He was celebrating. God. He said, I will celebrate before the Lord. You know, one historian writes, following the conclusion of his public duties, David would not neglect his own household this day of blessing. But even before he could pronounce a word of blessing, Michael, the daughter of Saul, began to berate him. She first accused him of disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants, thus exposing his nakedness. And secondly, she equated him with a vulgar fellow. So here we have one person celebrating the presence of God and another condemning the way in which he was celebrating. Within the uh, passage, we see a microcosm, what many churches today still have heated debate over. What is the right way to worship God? David was worshiping and celebrating God. He, re he replied back to her saying that, he, what he'd done, that this was done before the Lord. That he would be even more undignified than this. And thus the battle started many years ago and continues. How do we celebrate God's presence? How do we worship him? Worship in essence is recognizing and, and celebrating the presence of God in our midst. Something that can be done with a song or a dance. Something that can be done in silent reflection or meditation on his word. Worship is then the very act of the finite, recognizing the presence of the infinite. But how is it done? Well, that brings us to our question today. How do we usher in the presence of God? How do we usher in the presence of God? Well, first we embrace the greater joy. Embrace the greater joy. Second Samuel. 6.14, as wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing for the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpet. When a historian writes, dancing with the Lord with all his might, intimidating violent efforts of leaping and divested of his royal mantle, in a state of undress, if you will, Conduct apparently unsuitable for the gravity of the an age and the dignity of a king, but was unquestionably done as an act of religious homage. David the king danced before God. And it was okay. Because God, because he rather embraced a greater joy than that which this world could offer. David once wrote in Psalm 37, verse 4, he said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Well, that's the answer, isn't it? Delight ourselves in the Lord. You see, I think the strangest thing that a church members do sometimes is frown. I always approach worship, ser worship service from the mindset of a first-time visitor. Man, if I was a first-time visitor, let's say I wasn't even a Christian, what would I think when I walked through those doors? What would I expect? Well, for one, I, I think if I came into a worship service, any worship service, where people were in the presence of God, and as we all know, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he, there he is in our midst, so if I were to about to step into a congregation filled with people who were in the very presence of God himself, I would expect something great, something fantastic, something that would be so impressioned on the face of the worshipers that you were sure that they were celebrating the fact that the living God was in their presence. Maybe I would expect them to act as David did here and just be exuberantly dancing with shouts of praise, trumpets blowing, people overcome with the presence of the sacred in their midst. Imagine the shock that a new person would feel if instead of an electric experience of people encountering Almighty God, they encountered a group of people with their arms folded and frowns adorning their faces, glazed looks in their eyes, and seemingly bored tears. I'm not saying that anyone here looks like that, but I'm also not suggesting that we look like David either. David realized what was taking place, and he delighted himself in it. The presence of God was with him. How could he not but dance with all of his might? How could any of us, in the presence of God, do anything less than be overwhelmed? by his majesty. I mean, don't fake it. But if you're not overjoyed by the presence of God, recognize that however you feel, God is still here. God always shows up. The question is not if God showed up on a Sunday. The question is if we had. Are we sensitive to his presence, to his spirit? Is our heart softened to his love, to experience his love, to embrace his joy? Or are we closed off? Dr. Albert Merriman conducted several studies on nonverbal communication. He found that 7% of any message is conveyed through word. Words, only 7%. 38% through certain vocal elements, and 55% through nonverbal elements. Facial expressions, gestures, postures, etc. That means 55% of what we say is communicated through our body language. Meaning that before you open your mouth, you've already communicated over half of what someone is going to understand from you. Simple things like having our arms folded communicates being closed off. Lack of eye contact, fidgeting, slouching all communicate lack of interest or attention, or lack of attention to the other person. And while we're speaking of communication, we can also use this in understanding our mode of worship. Are we opening? Are we open to God changing our heart? Are we expecting Him to be present on a Sunday morning? Are we ready for Him to come into our life and clean out all? that need not be there. 
Or are we in our spirit, folding our arms, rolling our eyes, acting closed off? Now everybody worships in their own way, but one thing that should be evident in any mode or method of worship is a genuine joy in the Lord. The Lord God Almighty is here. You can be dancing, you can be crying, you can be standing with your arms lifted high, you can be bowing solemn reverence, but you cannot, you simply cannot be indifferent. If our heart is open to God, and if you are truly, and if you truly believe he is here, boredom and indifference are not an option, right? Embrace joy, God is here. How do we usher in the presence of God? First, embrace the greater joy. And second, well, second, focus on the glory of God. Focus on the glory of God. Saul said to, sorry, David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me as ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. That was a mic drop moment right there. I will celebrate before the Lord. One theologian writes, David's celebratory acts earlier in the day expressed kings, the king's unbridled joy in having been selected by the, Lord's, by the Lord for such significant service. Besides assuming that he was dressed as a properly outfitted Yahwehist priest, David's energetic dancing could not have exposed his nakedness and so violated Torah's requirements since he was wearing a linen undergarment. In, rejected David, in rejecting David, Michael was also rejecting the Lord, because it was he who chose David, in preference to Michael's father or anyone from his house, to lead Israel. Well, properly, Michael's rejection of David actually was symptomatic of an underlying problem in her relationship with God. Put it simply, the focus must always be on God. Not on a king dancing, not on the trumpets, not on the king of wardrobe, but on God alone. Michael was focused not on God, but on what she disproved of. David, on the other hand, was only thinking of God. He didn't care how silly he looked or how undignified it seemed for a man of his stature. He was praising God. And that is what it ultimately comes down to. Focus. A while back, I was at an SBC pastor's conference where I heard a strategist from the North American Mission Board speak on revitalizing uh, older churches. One thing he said really struck out in my, in my mind. He said that most uh, churches that are in a plateau or decline are simply there because they've lost the focus on why they were planted in the first place. A decades ago, they were planted in their community. The people had a vision for reaching that community for Christ. They didn't care about the trivial things older churches divert their attention to now. They simply wanted to reach the community for Jesus. That part of getting a church back on track, and this gentleman was the, uh, the heavy hitter for the Baptists for replanting declining churches at the time. He said that, that part of getting a church back on track was to bring them back to their roots. Why were they planted in the first place? You see, once we focus on why we are here, why we were planted here in the first place, 
all the trivial minutiae fades away, and change is no longer a struggle. It's considered mission critical for reaching our goal. We need to change to grow, be flexible to reach the unreached for Jesus. Focus on the glory of God and his marching orders to us to reach people for Christ, and change won't be so hard. You know, King David writes in Psalm 86, 9 through 10, he says, All nations, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you. Lord, they will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. If we never lose that focus, our church, our mission, our people will be an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. How do we usher in the presence of God? First, embrace a greater joy. Second, focus on the glory of God. And last, break off the fear of man. Break off the fear of man. 2 Samuel 6.22 says, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. One author notes, though David's pious actions might have resulted in some embarrassing moments, David was willing to become even more undignified and necessary, if necessary, to honor the Lord. He would even allow himself to be humiliated. In the Hebrew, the word is sepal, in his own eyes for the Lord's sake. Elsewhere, in the Old Testament, Sepal is understood as a virtue of signifying proper humility before the Lord. People of true faith would interpret David's actions for what they were, expressions of unrestrained, authentic faith. Thus the king would be held in honor by people of faith. Like the people of profound faith throughout the ages, David was willing to risk being misunderstood and humiliated as he pursued a deeper relationship with God. Why David even wrote in Psalm 27.1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? David was a man that was not afraid of how he looked in the eyes of others. His fear was rightly placed in God alone. Why do we fear people? I mean, what can they do, really? I mean, anything people can do pales in comparison to what God can do. If I'm going to please anyone, I would rather please God than people, because people come and go. God is eternal. Jesus said in Matthew 10.27, he says, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the rooftops. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, often we fear the wrong thing. My friend growing up had an attacked German shepherd named Janka. He also had a betta fish. Every time I came over, his, mount, his mountain of a dog would come barking at me, and I knew this beast could rip me to shreds if he wanted to. It would be pretty silly if I was more afraid of his betta fish than I was of his German shepherd. But we do it all the time. We give, it, we give in to our peers and defy God. 
because we're all worried more about our peers rejecting us and ultimately they're just people. I learned early on in the ministry that I cannot please everyone and trying to please everyone is a guaranteed way to fail. Finally, I found peace in and in all situations recognizing that as long as I'm doing right by God and that I'm doing what he has called me to do, it really doesn't matter what threats I get from man. And so is the case in every area of life. Do right by God and everything else will fall into place. The only right path is to obey him and his word because people, pleasers, rarely are God pleasers. Let me say that again, people-pleasers are rarely God-pleasers. Drop the fear of man. Pick up the fear of God. Then and only then will we worship in spirit and in truth. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And elsewhere it says we cannot serve two masters. So practically, what does this mean? It means allow yourself to be undignified in your worship of God. Embrace the joy. Free yourself from the chains of fear. Focus on Him and awaken from our spiritual slumber. God is here. Let us respond accordingly. A point of action is this. A worshiper chasing after the heart of God. We, we must be willing to be undignified as David. If we truly want to see the glory of God manifest in our lives, our, our homes, our church, we, we need to let go of our fears, our pride, our self-image. Be remade. Remade in His image. Thank you for joining us at the Positive Pastor Podcast, reminding you today and every day to stay positive because God is in control.